Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah. Um, Avrin Mackey, hello. Hello. Hello, Vanya Arslanian. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much. It has been <laughs> a crazy week. OMG. OMG. Oh, yeah? Well, hey, guys. I don't know if anybody out there has children, but we just started softball and baseball for both of my kids. And I always said that I'm never going to be one of those parents. I'm not, not going to overbook stuff. Well, I did it. I did it. <laughs> and I didn't mean to do it, but it happened. And it's fun. We're we're playing softball. There's two games a week. There's two games and two, we haven't even gotten into it really. It's two games, two practices for my daughter. And it's really fun because you know what? I played softball as a kid, fast pitch. And I played until I was in, you know, basically until I went away to college. And so wow. I do, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, but well, it's good. been a lot. It's been, it's just, yeah. I never played softball until I was an adult and you and your husband <gasps> invited me to play, um, softball I wasn't like a league it was just you and a bunch of friends and I found out that yeah there was a reason I never played <laughs> I was I was so bad I couldn't I swang the bat too late swang the bat I swung the bat too late <laughs> I swang it too late every time I could not I could just not figure it out but it was so much fun it so. was that we back in New York we had a, a good yeah. group of people who um who we would play we tried to play once a week but it you know it gets hard. Yeah. But this is pre-kids where you'd go play and then afterwards you eat and drink. Your face is off and it was New York City and it was super fun. But it yeah. It was fun. Yeah. yeah, that was a good time. So wait, this is funny, guys. I was telling Evan before we started recording, I was like, I have to talk about some TV that I'm watching because, yep. you know, Mike and Vanya can't not is on pause. So I don't get to talk about all the shows that I'm digging and what I could do without. And yeah, I'm just like, and I, I said, to. I yeah. need to tell you about shows. So I'm so curious if they're the same. I'm, how about I just say the names of yes. the two shows and yes. then if they're the same, you can scream and I'll scream and okay. then you can talk about them. But I was going to say, Vanya, you have to check out. Um, the woman across the street from the girl in the window, <laughs> yes. and Murderville. Oh, okay. So I, the first one, it was one of the ones that I was absolutely gonna okay. say. I, I feel like to our rom criminal fans out there, you guys are gonna. It's a weird genre. The woman it in is. the house across the street from the girl in the window. It is starring yeah. Kristen Bell, who is really wonderful in this. It's on Netflix, and it is a bizarre parody. Of that, yeah. the, the genre, like the woman in the window, which there's so many of it's those types of. It's like the books, of, right? They're more like yeah. novels. And this is interesting. Like they hit every trope in those novels. One of the tropes is hardcore sex. Hardcore sex yeah. scenes. There's, there's a whole there's episode some intense, yeah. where like the sex scene goes on for a long time and it's, yeah, it's hardcore. And it's hard. To, it, my, my husband had a hard time wrapping his mind around the genre a little bit because it is parody. But at it points is. it gets really sad or really like scary so I really think it's a it's a fun ride it is it is fun James said um watching her like gulp the red wine kept like making him have like a gag reflex <laughs> and like I can't he's like she's just she keeps gulping it I'm, like, I was also like she it. would never look that good in the morning I mean no you'd be so but I think screwed there's a little bit to it um not to give anything away but they would go to the same places like she visits um, a cemetery and like the epitaph on the headstone that she always visited was different every time. Right. And I was kind of like, 
are we going to explain this? Is there like something supernatural? And it's like, no, we're just fucking with you because it's yes. a parody of a genre that usually doesn't really make sense if you actually think about it. I know. I almost <laughs> need to go back and watch it. So if anybody out there is watching it and wants to chat, call me because I'd like to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really also, good. Also, and Murderville, Vanya, yes. is also on Netflix. It just came out. It stars Will Arnett. I've watched the and first like, episode. Okay, I've I've... I laughed out loud so many times that I was just like, I'm living for it. But tell them the premise, isn't it? So it's basically like a half scripted slash, it's an improv show. So Will <laughs> Arnett plays uh, Detective Terry Seattle. And every week he gets paired up with a celebrity partner. But the celebrity partner is just themselves and they have no script and it's their job to um, solve or like try to solve the crime. Oh my God, I love this. And it's hilarious. And I think my favorite, weirdly, of all of the, I watched all six episodes. Oh, They're I, not long. They're no. only like 20, yeah, 23 yeah, minutes long. Perfect. But um, my favorite uh, partner that he had, I mean, I loved all of them, was, but Sharon Stone, I thought, was <gasps> the absolute best one. Oh, I'm going to watch. I'm going to do the rest tonight. I'll watch the rest. I'm going to yeah. do, I'm going to stream five so much fun. more So episodes. what was the other show okay. that you're watching? Well, okay. So I actually, so the show that I was going to talk about mm-hmm. is on Hulu and it is called Pam and Tommy. Oh, I've heard about it, but I haven't watched it. Okay. So it's about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. And I, I think it's a essentially about you know how their sex tape came out and it's kind of yeah. like how that came about it is a shot really cool kind of weird um seth rogan's in it and he plays this guy who's he like plays a, the guy that stole their sex tape right? yes it is this is like back when it was probably on dvd or something and nick offerman's in it i have to just say you may not like it but it, especially if you were sort of cognizant of the 90s or back in this time frame when they there's a club scene where they go out to the clubs. It's just so, not that I went to the clubs in the 90s, but like, you know, it, it, I just loved it. It was fun. The costumes are fun. The woman who plays Pamela Anderson, uh, Lily James, who I've only seen her in Cinderella, like as like a oh, chase. That's who that is. She's amazing. I mean, okay. she's doing, she's doing a portrayal, portrayal of, of Pamela, but like picking, picking out specific things that Pamela Anderson does. So it feels like you're watching her and she does, they don't look, totally like it's just it's just crazy and the guy who plays Tommy Lee is Sebastian Stan and he's great I'm just loving it there's also some uh a, uh there's a uh a stunt ding dong because you know to- Tommy was supposed to have a very huge penis his penis ah. was supposed to be very large was and so there's to be ginormous. there's like a fake one and it just is like well have a look guys take a watch because no. it was a little too shiny and slick for me Right, you were like, that's uh, not real. I know, I, I like audibly gasped. I was like, oh, my, that is a trunk of a penis. Hello. Okay, yeah. so. Uh, I don't I, think I, I knew, I don't, or I didn't remember that about Tommy Lee that he was supposed to have. Yeah, I feel A like trunk of a penis. A trunk of a penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know what's so funny, Avrin? I'm always thinking of like, what are our sound bites? Like, what could we put on a t-shirt? And they're all, they all have to, they can't go on t-shirts because most of them have to do with sex and, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, mom. Sorry, I mom. love you. <laughs> Okay, so sorry for that little... Um, actually, I am not sorry because I you wanted know. to embark sorry, upon sorry. you the knowledge of our new TV listening, mm-hmm. watching. So I think you're going to like it. And yeah. yeah. So guys, we are in episode two of our trilogy. Right. So episode three of the season, but two of our <laughs> yeah. Meg and Tom trilogy. That's right. And we are covering Sleepless in Seattle this time. Mm-hmm. And Avrin, I'm going to play the... Uh, I want you to hear, I'm going to play the um, the trailer. So here we go. Okay. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Sleepless in Seattle. You called a radio station? Christmas Eve. He phones in one of those radio call-in shows. He tells them that his dad needs a new wife. And the shrinkette practically forces a guy onto the phone and says, Tell me, what was so special about your wife? Well, Dr. Marshall Fieldstone, I think. It was like magic. magic. Sleepless in Seattle? That's what you call them on the show because he can't sleep. And now 2,000 women want his number. Dear Sleepless in Seattle, you're the most attractive man I ever lay ears on. The guy could be a crackhead. Actually, he sounded nice. You know it's easier to be killed by a terrorist than it is to get married over the age of 40. That's not true. That statistic is not true. That's right. It's not true. But it feels true. Sandy has a girlfriend, Glenda. She's a weightlifter. 
It's not like her neck is bigger than her head. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to set me up. What about Walter? Walter and I are engaged. Today I consider myself the luckiest man, 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 When's the last time you were out there? Uh, Jimmy Carter, 1978. Things are a little different now. I am having all of these fantasies about some man I have never even met who lives in Seattle. It rains nine months of the year in Seattle. I know! Tiramisu. What is tiramisu? You'll see. Some woman is going to want me to do it to her, and I'm not going to know what it is. You'll love it. What if I never meet him? What if this man is my destiny and I never meet him? Your destiny can be your doom. I want to meet you. Dad, read this, read this. Where is Seattle? Right. Where is Baltimore? Ah, it's right there. Look, one, two, three, four, but there's like 26 states. But what I really don't want to do is end up always wondering what might have happened and knowing I could have done something. This is crazy. Uh, that's what I'm trying to tell you. What women are looking for. Pecs in a cute bun. This is the one I like. There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet someone who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? You can't, you can't even turn on the news nowadays without hearing about how some babe thought some guy's butt was cute. So has my butt. Not bad. Really? Yeah. Is it cute, though? You're grading on a curve? So that is the trailer that I found for Sleepless in Seattle. And okay, so I haven't seen this. I keep saying, oh, I haven't seen this in a long time. But I hadn't seen this in a really long time. It yeah. is. These are old movies. They you know? are. There's so many new things to watch, as you just heard us go on and on about. I know. I know. We could have a whole other podcast of just talking yeah. about TV that we watch. So, you know. <laughs> um, no, but it's so it, it, you if you guys are interested in like refreshing your minds and just getting up deep in that sleepless in seattle you can find it to if you have amazon prime it's for free which is good oh great. i was excited Perfect. anytime i don't have to like you know pay for it yeah i'm, I'm happy nice. came out in 1993 so this is three years after joe versus a volcano mm-hmm. it is directed by nora efron she does all the rom-coms i know i'm like what else does she do let's see here i can tell you She's known for, well, actually, Julie and Julia, which I loved that movie. Yes, that's a good one. Where Meryl Streep is playing um, Julia Childs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then she also, right before this, wrote When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, Uh, that's, I think, the one that made her, like, the go-to screenwriter slash director for romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. Because When Harry Met Sally was such a huge big deal in the genre you know yeah. and starred Meg Ryan so I not know. surprising that she would tap she, that leading lady yeah was the, was that the movie that made Meg Ryan the empress of rom-coms dare you say probably I think I think that was the what like the biggest rom-com she did outside of this trilogy that we're covering because mm-hmm. I think the 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 next two so Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail were, were very big but I think when Harry Met Sally was just like a big freaking deal when it came to rom-coms i know can i tell you a secret what you've never seen it i've never seen when harry met sally oh my god i know we are we are living a lie here people vanya the rom has never seen i know when harry met sally i haven't i know you well you should it's you should i will i you know what it is is as i got older i'm like billy crystal he's just not somebody who's uh uh earmuffs mom he just doesn't seem like a fuckable kind of dude, you know, to me. He just, not for me. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah, for yeah. other people, not for me. I think that's totally fair to say, um, but it's still <laughs> worth watching. Okay, okay, well. it's, it's really about two friends who are friends for a really long oh. time. And there's always, you know, there's always an undercurrent. Like, they have great banter. They have mm. great chemistry. But they're not, like, da- they don't date for, like, almost the entire movie. I don't oh, want to ruin it. Yeah, yeah, Spoiler yeah. alert, okay, well, when we'll Harry met Sally. <laughs> Nora Ephron. But you have to watch that. Also, I will. She also wrote the one that we'll do next, too. So You've Got Mail is the yeah. next, is our ending piece of our trilogy. So, but yes, it also, this Sleepless in Seattle covers, uh, or it, it stars, dare I say, Tom Hanks, of course. I mean, duh. And Meg Ryan, of course. Tom Hanks plays Sam Baldwin, and Meg Ryan plays... Annie Reed, and by the way, Tom Hanks is an architect, which is such a funny. Everyone's an architect. Um, <laughs> we also have a we have Meg Ryan's fiance in this, Bill Pullman. 
Mm-hmm. And then who we love who we love, and then also like, read go a, back and listen to our what was that while you were uh, sleeping? We have the hots for that's Bill true. I in this movie I did not. I changed no. my mind about his. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. In in while you were sleeping, he was just adorable. Um, also, Rita Wilson plays like family friend or sister. I maybe thought, I think he. I think he. I think she plays Tom Hanks's sister because all they say is Susie very weird Susie yeah I think it's meant to be a sister I feel like I did a little bit of reading up on Sleepless in Seattle Mm -hmm. um, as part of research and uh, I'm pretty sure she plays a sister they don't actually they don't explicitly say it but yes the character is meant to be his sister yep (laughs) which is weird because it's his wife you guys yeah in real life his wife in real life which can I just mention one more time that she rapped at the Academy Awards did you remember that she rapped I don't remember that. Just put in Rita Wilson raps in in YouTube. Okay. It's amazing. I'm like, that bitch is cool. Like, she's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I do like her. I always enjoy her and stuff. So I guess at this point, I will tell you a little bit about this movie, right? So Sam Baldwin is a Chicago architect who his wife, Maggie, dies of cancer. And we see him with his seven-year-old son basically mourning the loss of his wife. He ends up deciding, you know what, we're going to start new. So he moves Jonah to Seattle and they live on a houseboat and or it's it's either a boat like right on the water. It's not like an actual houseboat. Well, maybe it is, but or it's not a boat. It's it's a house house on the water. It's and a I, house that floats on the water. So I think houseboat is right. OK, good. Yeah. And yeah, But I will I think say, that's the right term. I think this made this movie back in 1993 made a lot of people be like, I want to move to Seattle. It is not sunny like it shows. I mean, it is sunny in almost every a clip of this movie and by the way it rains maybe once and he's using an umbrella which people in Seattle don't really use umbrellas so they got it wrong there they got it so wrong on the Seattle of Mm -hmm. it all so now we meet then we meet Annie who is engaged she gets engaged on Christmas to Bill Pullman which I feel bad for anyone with anyone with allergies because he base they basically make him out to be like kind of nerdy and he has allergies and he's such a there's no real chemistry but she's Matt or Annie is just like I'm gonna marry this guy because he pretty much because he asked me but she's nagging and feeling feeling like it's wrong she goes up and she tries on her mom's wedding dress and her mom's talking it's a funny scene where she's like do you know how to have sex and the She's like, yeah, we're already having sex, mom. And she's like, well, magic, right? So there's this whole thing about like how her and her father or, you know, her father and her mom had this like magic. And now after her mom said that, all she can think of is like, do I have this magic? And you can tell right. that they don't have this magic. It's just I know one of one of my favorite things in everything that I read about this is like and the and the, you know, the biggest issue that uh, Meg Ryan or Annie's fiance has is that he has some food allergies and like sneezes a lot and yeah. that's supposed to be reason enough that she <laughs> basically shits all over him the whole movie it is it's a little uncomfortable I will agree yeah um so then a year and a half after this after um the wife dies right so Jonah mm-hmm. the little kid calls a radio talk show and it's like one of those like love doctor, you know. Oh yeah, Susan from the nineties. Those Labadibu. were big in the nineties. Delilah. Yes, where you call in and you say, "Here's my mm-hmm. problem," and they try to help you out. And Sam, Sam gets on the phone, and somehow he, you know, starts actually talking about missing his wife and how much he loved her and how how she was, how it was like magic. And he just doesn't know if he'll ever meet her again or meet another person like that again because what the boy Jonah is he wants his dad to find someone else and every right. woman in the listening becomes completely enamored with uh Sam who this doctor blabadaboo calls sleeps sleeps in Seattle uh you know um yeah. and another person who was listening was Annie and so as she's driving to meet her whatever she kind of goes a little not I, it's kind of nuts she like falls in love with him and she works for a paper she's like a writer and um you know her her cohort is rosie o'donnell that's her bestie and mm-hmm. they make her write a story about it but in the process she ends up kind of stalking him not kind of she hires a detective to find out where he is to take pictures of him she knows he's he is starting to date other people and 
Right. So she basically uses her work resources to stalk an individual that she's secretly or not so secretly obsessed with. Yes. And (laughs) she writes a letter saying, um, meet me on the Empire State Building at whatever on, on Valentine's Day. And the letter comes to Jonah and he does he show his dad? I don't think so. But the point is, is that um, she did. Oh, she wrote it, but she didn't send it. Rosie O'Donnell's character sent it. Right. She didn't know that. Um, whatever, you know. And she, But anyway, she ends up flying out there to Seattle to kind of like stalk him. And she sees him hugging this woman, Rita Wilson, which is his sister. And she right. thinks, oh, shit balls. Like, oh, man, I, I, I'm waiting. I missed it's my too moment. Late. Yeah. And she's like standing in the middle of the freaking road. And he sees Almost her. Almost gets hit by like a truck, right? Yeah. He sees her and he like becomes enamored with her and is like, who is this woman? She almost gets hit by a truck and then she leaves. And then that's that. Now I'm going to tell the you. End. No, that's the end. That's the end. The <laughs> end. Um, I'm going to tell you, we're going to go through some of the, I think this is a good time to stop and go through a couple. I only did two reviews this time. Okay. The first review is a random, uh, a, a, viewer, a viewer, like a human right. being that is not a critic, but I thought it was funny and they call themselves random tangent. A woman, Meg Ryan, unhappy in her current relationship, stalks a widowed man, Tom Hanks, and his young child after hearing him on a call in radio show under the pseudonym Sleepless in Seattle. Although she continues to string along her current partner, she develops an obsession with Sleepless in Seattle, taking photos and following him around until, surprise, a misinterpretation of a hug between Hanks and a female friend, which it's a sister, sorry, you're wrong, leads to her leads her to abandon her pursuit. The movie ends with a pre encounter on the rooftop of the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day, just like a scene from the movie An Affair to Remember, with callbacks to Love Affair. The viewer is left feeling like they should have watched that classic movie instead of this bland, if somewhat more accessible, remake. I mean, mean, calm down. Like this but person- also, pretty accurate description yeah. of the film. Mm-hmm, <laughs> they mm-hmm. talk about An Affair to Remember a lot in the movie, too. They do. Just in case you didn't realize that- uh, a similar story <laughs> yeah it is and they she watches it over and over again and I think that you know when I was a kid watching this I wasn't really thinking how desperate not desperate but just like how we all do it unhealthy like we watch movies and we think that's what life is going to be like yeah. and then you're disappointed because the expectations of whatever you had is not real but I mean, it works out here, so. Okay, so now we have Roger Ebert. And because I can't not do his reviews, if he has reviewed. Especially you know, from the 90s. Mm-hmm. He was like the number one movie critic back then. I think he is kind here, in a way. He says, the plot mechanics reminded me of those contrived of, of those contrived 1940s and 1950s romantic melodramas where events conspired to bring the lovers close, but no closer. And then, the, but to bring the lovers close, but no closer. And then the writers toyed with us by manufacturing devices to keep them apart. By the end of Sleepless in Seattle, we're hoping the lovers will meet atop the Empire State Building. Um, And the movie is doing everything to keep that from happening, short of assigning Donald Trump to tear it down. (laughs) He he says, the actors are well-suited to this material. Tom Hanks keeps a certain detached edge to his character, which keeps him from being simply a fall guy. Meg Ryan, who is one of the most likable actresses around, has a certain ineffable Doris Day innocence. I think think that's accurate. Um, She's able to convince us of the magical quality of her sudden love for a radio voice without letting the device seem like a gimmick which it assuredly is <laughs> excuse me that's my uh turning my sound off um and then it says sleepless in seattle is an ephemeral is as ephemeral as a talk show as contrived as a late show and yet so warm and gentle i smiled the whole way through which i feel like he was being a little kind there yeah so he liked it he liked he's it like, even though it's he's like it's not actually a good movie but I liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I liked it too. I, I have a really easy way of like just going in with the movie and letting myself be taken away and not letting too much of my pessimism. You know, I think if you're a real sort of jaded person and can't like go, it's going to be a harder watch. I mean, most rom-coms probably will be for that person. Right, right. Uh, but there's a point where um, Annie goes in to talk to her brother who is played by um, 
hold on. He is played by the guy from Frasier, and I'm going to... Oh, that's right. David um, Hyde Pierce. He plays, yes, he plays Niles. Yes, exactly. Frasier. And she goes... And he plays like the same character, right? Isn't he like a psychiatrist he is. in this one yes, too? Yes, yeah. he's a psychiatrist. And she's like... Like, did you fall in love with your brother or your brother? Did you fall? Were you? Are you in love with your wife? And he kind of is, like, no, essentially. Um, and it's 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 sad, you know. And then later on, she's talking to Rosie O'Donnell, which I can't remember the character's name, but whatever. Becky. His, her Becky, her bestie, and you know, she's Becky says, "You a movie? You don't want to? You don't want to be in love? You want to be in love in a movie?" I think a lot mm. of us can relate to because I think yeah, a lot of yeah. us don't know you know I okay let's talk about magic for a second sure so did you ever feel I mean listen obviously I think you did but was there a distinct moment when you felt like magic or the love like for your love for your husband oh absolutely was there like absolutely. a moment or was it it was a bunch of little moments yeah. that that I didn't realize were happening until like the first time we actually were like romantic together. Yeah. And all of a sudden I realized that I remembered every moment, <gasps> every interaction that we had ever had because we worked together, but we weren't like super. For like, like a years, right? Like a couple years. Yeah. But we were, we were just coworkers, you know, and we would joke around. But I realized when we started dating that I could catalog every single like interaction we had had. And I didn't realize that yeah. I had like held on to all of that and I remember the first thing I ever said to him which if you've ever worked in you know the restaurant industry you meet like a bajillion different people you work with <laughs> yeah you say a lot of things you talk to a lot of people and also he's just magical you know so when he we is. first yeah when we first got together it was nothing but magic you know I love that yeah. I, I agree though mine was a little more of a, a cumulative um moments and then what was, I think, because I definitely had a bit of a hardened heart when I was dating my husband because I had been hurt. I had been hurt before. And I was like, I will never love again. I will <laughs> never love again. But the truth is, like, for me, each time I saw him, even when we had our moments of, like, not being together because I kept pushing him away, <laughs> um, <laughs> was that I love I still love having a conversation with him and he makes me laugh and I just never wanted it to end and so so I love the idea of magic but to me it is like that quote you know you don't want to be in love you want to be in love in a movie it's a balance you right? know it is a balance and I think I mean rom-coms wouldn't exist if that wasn't a something universal that people felt is mm -hmm. like real life love stories are awesome and beautiful but often yeah. be because if they are true love then they go the distance and then longevity equals just like life's shit too which is which they don't which which they don't cover in most rom-coms no they don't you know? those you're are right. usually like dramas that make you cry a lot you it's know when you're just like god life is hard life is hard um yeah and so this is kind of rom-coms exist to give us just the love story just the fireworks yep. and it usually ends you know, as soon as they get together. It's never about, a rom-com is usually, it's never about a married couple. Right. I know. And you know what? Someone should write We're that We're going to write that one. We're going to write that yes, one. Yes, we will. So, yeah, I just thought, I just wanted to talk about that because I do believe, um, I do believe in magic, but I don't believe in like, I don't know. Maybe, you know what? Anything is possible. I'm not going to say I don't believe in it. I say for me, it's it was, I was experienced, I experienced it a little bit differently. But you know what? I am maybe someone who believes in fate because fate would not let me go. Like he would, it just, right. he was in my every mirror of my rear view mirror. I kept seeing this person. So anyways, um, love the ones you're with. 3 a.m. y'all. Don't do that. But Don't she did that. Don't hitchhike. I know. <laughs> so um, it's funny. I'm smelling toast right now, but I'm pretty sure my husband's like making pizza. Oh, okay. Or I'm no, having a heart having attack. A so if I if I go limp, call the cops or somebody. I will. I will. I love you. I love you. Um, okay. So so Jonah, little baby Jonah, he gets that letter. He, his little best friend, this girl, is her, her parents are travel agents. So somehow he's able to get on a plane. He's supposed to be ten, but honestly, the kid the kid still has his baby teeth. So I'm like, he must be like a five-year-old, but whatever. He flies to New York from Seattle because he's going to meet Annie. He's like, this is my new mom. I'm going to meet right. her. Um, meanwhile, Annie is in a romantic uh, dinner with her, you know, fiance. Fiance. And eventually she, she 
breaks up with him because it just is not real. She's she's realizing like she's let go of Tom Hanks's, you know, she's let go of Sam because she saw him with another person, but she knows that she wants to wait for something that is magic to her. Right. She felt more for a voice on the radio than she feels for the man that she said she'd spend the rest of her life with. Mm-mm. And that's a sign that that's not your person. Yeah. But Walter, your allergies do not mean you don't deserve love. I know. I have food allergies. And you know what I like? In he, he For for him, he fights back a little. He's like, he tells her he doesn't want to be someone she settles for. Which, right. yeah, no. Um, they break up and... As soon as she looks out the window, she sees the heart on the Empire State Building light up and she says, look, and it's a sign. I have to go. So she's running over there. Now, this is like the missing connections point where so um, and of course, at the time, uh, you know, Sam finds out his son. So he is Has flying flown over, to New yeah, York by his himself. five year old son. <laughs> so he hops on another plane. So he's kind of right behind him. Uh, Jonah spends most of the day on this on the top of the Empire State Building. Finally, Sam goes up there, gets his son. They're going down. And then, of course, as they step into the elevator, the uh, elevator opens up and Annie's there. She looks around and no one's there. She's had to convince people because it's like already closed. And she right. finds a backpack and pop the elevator doors open again. And it's Sam and Jonah. And he takes her hand and the music plays. It's magic. Well, first their eyes meet. And he says, it's you. It's me. I saw you on the street. Are you Annie? Yes. You're Annie? And he takes her hand and the music plays. It's magic. And you hear, (laughs) it's so important. It's so important to make someone happy. You know that song? (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) And then as they get on the elevator, still holding hands, she says, Sam, it's nice to meet you. And that's the end of the freaking movie. And do you want to know a fun fact about this movie? What? Meg and Tom spend approximately two minutes of screen time together in this movie. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's interesting that they, because in Joe versus the Volcano, I mean, they're never not together between the three different Meg Ryan. Right. So we know that they have like amazing chemistry on screen together. So it's interesting that they would, one of their biggest movies that they did, they were, they're not really in it together. Yeah. It's like two separate movies where she's like watching his movie and he's trying desperately to turn her movie off yeah. um, <laughs> or get her get his son to turn her movie off but yeah. uh, I didn't realize it was that little screen time yeah 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 I uh, I read so many funny things about you know people from now times the current the now times that's how you say current from times, the, now, the times. now times from the now times who you know, it's not so much a critique as it is a laugh out loud kind of take. I mean, this movie, you can go on YouTube and they've turned the trailer into a horror movie yeah. by just changing the music, nothing else. Yes. Um, the articles that I read about, you know, how ridiculous the behavior is. Apparently, I didn't do a full rewatch. I watched a little bit of it, but I've seen it many times. Um, but the, apparently, like Tom Hanks's Sam is kind of a misogynist who hates that women are... Like asking men out on dates. That's now. true. There's a whole like scene with his friend Rob Reiner, and they're talking about that. He's like, "Well, I don't think I could let a lady pay for dinner." And it's right, like, the- and how he doesn't like that. Like times are a changing, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just read some interesting stuff like that. But I have to say, Vaughn, this was maybe the easiest it's ever been for me Ooh. to know exactly what I wanted to do. Obviously, yeah. I wanted to do a story about a female stalker. Yes. Um, I never even considered anything else because <laughs> I was like, this movie is about a female stalker. Yeah. And we have covered a couple and they were such like crazy stories. And I was like, I hope I can find another one that's got enough info for me that I can really dig into. And um, I found one that is so nuts and so wild, and is a story about a woman who stalks a guy who lives on a houseboat. No way. I know, and I didn't even realize that when I I just saw like the headline of it and started looking into what? it, and it wasn't until I started doing my research that I learned that the gentleman that um, her obsessive horror was placed upon lived on a houseboat, and I was like, well, there you go. That's this is it. the one. This is the one. So are you ready? I am so ready. Okay. <laughs> So, Dr. Jan Falkowski was a 41-year-old psychiatrist. He worked at the St. Clement's Hospital in Bowl, East London, and he was a good-looking, snappy dresser, 
Throw in the fact that he was a powerboating, like, world record holder. I don't really know what powerboat huh. racing, I'm assuming it's just, like, speedboat racing. Sure. But he, like, he was a competitive uh, powerboat racer, and he held, like, several records. So, not surprisingly, this handsome, sporty doctor <clears throat> had his fair share of admirers. And in 2001, at a powerboat racing tournament, he met Deborah Pemberton, who was an accountant just a few years his junior, and the two began dating. Yan lived in a houseboat <laughs> in London, while Debbie lived in a flat, because this is in the UK, in Poole. And the couple would split their time between his houseboat and Debbie's flat. They'd spend most weekends at her place. And then during the week, they'd go to his houseboat. I'll just say houseboat one more time. Houseboat. <laughs> it's a house that floats on the water. And things were going incredibly well for this couple. And soon they get engaged and they set a date. They're going to get married on September 6th, 2003. So it was August of 2002 when the trouble began. Uh -oh. While the couple was on the train together, Debbie got a phone call from a woman with a Spanish accent. The caller asked Debbie to confirm her name, and after she did, the woman hung up the phone. Thinking it was nothing more than a telemarketer, Debbie didn't really give it a second thought until minutes later when Yan got a text that read, I know where you park your car at the hospital. The couple assumed they were the targets of a prank caller. But when several more messages of the same nature came through minutes later, they decided that they're going to try to call this number back and figure out who it is. But their call won't go through. So I guess this person calling like knew how to block reverse uh -oh. calling. So on October 25th, of, so that was in August, on October 25th of 2002, Yan and Debbie were driving down to Debbie's flat when they both received threatening calls. But this time they were receiving threatening calls from both a man and a woman. Yan also received several texts, one which read, you will never know how much I feel for you in the last four years. Oh my. Oh. At this point, yeah, so apparently the feelings go back four years. Mm. At this point, the couple decides that, to tell the police that they're being harassed and threatened. And police tell them that there isn't much that they can do, um, but they do advise them to keep records of all of the calls and emails and messages and to let them know if the threats escalate into something more than just harassing phone calls and texts. Um, and this is I wrote this in an asterisk. <laughs> Later, police would discover that the messages had been rerouted through a server in Sweden and w were impossible to trace. So even if they had attempted to figure out who was sending them, this first time they came to police, they would not have been able to. And the calls and texts continued. Um, the calls were mostly just heavy breathing or silence, but the text became the texts <laughs> became more and more abusive. It was clear at this point that the stalker's affection was for Yan, and her vitriol, her rage, her poisonous venom was for Debbie. He would receive mostly complimentary texts while Debbie received terrifying threats. Uh, one text that Debbie received said, quote, you will burn in your wedding dress. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Debbie was becoming increasingly scared, paranoid, and uh, it became more and more clear that their stalker was intent on getting Debbie out of the picture. On October 28th of 2002, Debbie and Yan returned to his uh, houseboat after spending the weekend at Debbie's and found that all of the lights on the boat had been turned on. Debbie was positive. She knew she turned all the lights off, but Yan was less worried about it. He knew that the marina where his houseboat was um, had tight security and they weren't going to let anybody just like who didn't live in the marina come through. Um, and no one would have been able to get there. So the pair, but Debbie insists that they call the police. Um, and so when the police come around, they look for any kind of evidence of a break-in. They dust for fingerprints to see if they can find any foreign prints and they don't find any sign of a break-in. Hmm. Then, just two nights later, when Yan and Debbie returned to the houseboat after a night out, they got a terrible shock. So Yan boarded, <laughs> entered the houseboat. He boarded the houseboat first <laughs> and immediately came running out, shouting for Debbie to, like, back away, back away from the boat. Somebody had come in and turned the gas tap to his stove on, and gas had filled the entire boathouse, and just one spark would have blown the whole thing oh, sky high. Oh, so police now have an active threat on their, like a physical act of threat, like, like someone was trying to hurt them, right? Somebody turned the gas on, could have been hiding somewhere with a match, or just, you know, gas is toxic. They could have like 
gotten yeah. the carbon monoxide or whatever. So their interest in the case ramps up at this point. And um, let's see, where am I? Sorry, police. police's interest in the case ramps up after this as a serious attempt on the lives of Yann and Debbie had been made. Elizabeth Mills, who was the security guard for the marina, told police that a Mediterranean-looking woman had attempted to enter the marina by telling her that she had a dinner invitation from Yann, but that she didn't necessarily... It doesn't say in my research if she, like, let her in, so maybe she did let her in, because yeah. she said, I'm here by invitation from Yann. Uh, through all of this, the texts cont- um, continue to come in, Debbie received several texts telling her that she wasn't good enough for Yan. And then the stalker gave Debbie a nickname. Um, her nickname was fucking Debbie Tart. Which <laughs> I imagine you have to like say that in a British accent, like fucking Debbie Tart. Tart, Tart. How do they say the R's in British? Like Tart. No, Tart. 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 A Tart. I taught. Um, so <laughs> the stalker, the stalker continues to terrorize the couple by making it clear that she's watching them, not just sending them messages, and she knows their routines. She even taunts Debbie by telling her that she knows exactly what train she gets at Waterloo Station when she leaves to go home from work. Ooh, Ooh yeah. So Yan and Debbie returned to the police to show them the latest messages, and they were advised to just change your change your phone number. Like, <laughs> thanks, police. You're so helpful. Right. Um. It's Yeah, like she won't figure out their new numbers. Not wanting to basically give the stalker the satisfaction of having to find their new numbers and then continue to taunt them. They're like, no, we're not getting new numbers, but we're going to block all calls and texts from the stalker's number. And at this point, Debbie is receiving like 10 or more threats a day. Um, Here's a couple of examples. There was one that said, a bullet waiting for you, gunman paid. And then a text that simply read, you be dead. The, so- the stalker also harassed Debbie at work. She would call her place of work and harass her colleagues, like, insisting that she be put through. And when they wouldn't, she would, like, you know, be very mean to her colleagues. <laughs> um, and she even called Debbie's boss and told him that Debbie was a corporate spy who was leaking confidential company information. <laughs> so just, like, really trying to ruin Debbie's life. Uh, by, two- uh, by January of 2003, the police suggest that Yan and Debbie move into a safe house. Like what? What? It went from like change your number to let's move into a safe house. Yeah. So they're like, okay, so that not helpful. Let's go totes extreme and move you guys into a safe house. And they're like, um, no, we just think you should try to find this person. Um, yeah. And they're like, it's, it'll be a place that only we know about and you guys know about. No one else will know. Um, they're, they don't really go for that. And at this point, their relationship is um, it's crumbling under the stress. Yeah. So the more fear and anxiety that the stalker causes Debbie, the more Yan seems to be frustrated at her inability to like just shrug it off, which I'm like, come on, Yan. Yeah. You're just getting messages about how great you are. She is yeah. literally being threatened 10 times or more a day. And so the more scared she seemed to be, Yan seemed to pull away from her. Meanwhile, the abusive text kept coming and the stalker seemed determined to sabotage the couple's upcoming wedding. On one occasion, Debbie called the hotel where the reception was to be held um, to firm up details when the manager told her, um, what, hadn't they canceled it? Because somebody had called the stalker oh and canceled God. their wedding. Canceled their that wedding, is y'all. so messed up. Debbie is horrified. Um, the stalker uh, also apparently managed to get the phone number of the chef who worked at the hotel and said if, if they didn't refuse to cook for them that uh, she was going to poison all of the food and all of the guests at the wedding. So Debbie still wants to marry Yan. They're still planning on getting <laughs> married. So she and the hotel and all of the people that she deals with come up with this system where they have like a password that before they discuss anything, you have to be able to say what the password is so that the stalker w- wouldn't know the password, right? And then they wouldn't be able to cancel the wedding again, uh, which is just insane and then I was like maybe you should just move the reception to that safe house that the police offered (laughs) because my god um so the rightfully stressed out couple decided that they need to get away they need like a vacay so they booked a trip to Brussels but immediately canceled the trip when the stalker sent Debbie a threatening text that read you can't run away because they hadn't told anyone they were going out of town not a friend a co-worker nobody but each other and um so this completely freaks them out and they just they're like what the actual f and they become convinced 
that the stalker has somehow like bugged their homes or like tapped their phones um, because there was another instance where Debbie just made an appointment for a teeth cleaning and then the stalker sent her a message that said, Debbie Tart fancies whitening her teeth. Her mouth will burn. <gasps> I know. Um, but the couple did like a full sweep of both of their homes for like bugs or listening devices and they couldn't find anything. And as the wedding day grew nearer, the stalker started ramping up her threats. She sent Debbie messages like, bang, 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 fucking Debbie Tart, your last days are counted up and you will be burned down in your wedding dress. Those were just oh a couple of the goodness. nice friendly threats. Um, Ian was also receiving messages telling him not to marry that fucking witch and others desperately like trying to convince him that Debbie was having an affair and that's why he should call off the wedding. Um, but on the plus side, y'all, the police were finally starting to make some progress. Ooh. They discovered that all of the phone calls, text messages, and emails were being sent from public call boxes. Because apparently at this time in the UK, um, pay phones would ha- had like keyboards underneath oh. like, the number pad. So you could actually send text messages and emails from pay phones. Which I was like, Fascinating. Oh, United States, get your shit together. Yeah. Not that anyone uses pay phones anymore. But back in the early 2000s, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, so police were able to trace most of the messages from call boxes in Dorset and a couple of places in London. So they kind of have a general idea of where this woman is making these or sending these like the areas that she's using. Um, despite the fact that the police seem to be closing in on the stalker, Yan and Debbie's relationship can't withstand the stress. Aww. And um, they break up and they're going to call off their wedding. But police are like, wait, hold up. We have an idea. <gasps> What if you guys go ahead and pretend like the wedding is still on so that they could lay a trap for the stalker? Ooh, fun. Because they felt, they felt convinced that on the day of the wedding, the stalker would call so they could, like, put a, a trace on Debbie's phone or that she'd show up at the wedding so they would have just undercover police officers pretending to be guests, stuff like that. Um, and so uh, turns out that's the one thing the stalker didn't figure out was that the wedding had actually been called off. And... Um, I, where am I? That's incredible. Yeah. So the cops are like, we'll just just pretend you're still going to get married. All right. Just we'll just we'll just pretend it's still going forward. I just wonder what all of their friends and family oh were thinking. God. Like, you guys called off your wedding, but we're ha- there's a fake wedding. Everyone's a cop. I don't understand. Finally, it's September sixth, two thousand three. Their wedding day. Um, Debbie waits at her parents' house with two police officers while other cops stake out the venue. They um, also had officers in like unmarked cars parked close by to all the various call boxes that they had traced the messages from. And the plan was that at some point they were positive the stalker would reach out to Debbie from one of these public pay phones. Police would then trace the call and the stalker would finally be caught because they'd be like, all right, it's that one. And then there'd be a cop car right there and they'd be good to go. So around 12.30 p.m. on the day of the wedding, Debbie's phone rang. Police traced the call to a call box in town. Police swarmed the payphone and arrested the woman who had been making (gasps) Debbie and Yan's life a living hell. Her name was Maria Marchese. Neither Yan nor Debbie recognized this name, like that was not a person that they knew. Uh, Maria was a 45-year-old Argentinian woman who had um, lived in the U.K. for several years before becoming a citizen, and police brought her in for questioning, and they were all pretty darn eager to figure out, like, yeah. how this happened, like, where this obsession with Dr. Ian Valkowski came from. And as it turns out, back in 1997, so remember, she had said, you have no idea how I feel for you for four years. Yeah. Um, Maria was in a relationship with a man named George Adhard, who had a history of mental illness. George began treatment at St. Clemens Hospital at um, Bowl in East London, where he saw a psychiatrist, Jan Falkowski, for about a half an hour every two to three months. It was during these appointments that Maria would accompany George uh, to see him. And even though she barely interacted with him, she basically brought her boyfriend and like maybe waited in the office. It's not like she went in for the sessions. But, but just the glimpse of him, the hello, how are you today of him was enough um, that she became obsessed with him. And police also believe that she learned about um, Yan and Debbie's relationship when their engagement was announced in the National Health Service magazine, which is sent out to all patients. So if, she, if her boyfriend got that magazine, she would have seen their like engagement announcement, oh. which I'm also like, should you be putting personal information like that? In a, I feel like definitely no. Uh, like a medical ma- a magazine for the patients, maybe for like magazines Colleagues only doctors or doctors are going to yeah. get. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, when police searched Maria's flat, they found a full-on shrine <gasps> built to Yan, like photos, candles, you know, just like a, a love shrine for Yan. Um, and once Yan figured out that Maria knew him through his patient, he obviously stopped treating George and passed him on to another uh, psychiatrist, which this just goes to show you the balls on this woman. Okay. So he's like, well, obviously I can't continue to treat you because your girlfriend's been my stalker for two years. Um, she calls and like makes a formal complaint with the hospital about him dropping her now ex-boyfriend, George, um, because she is bold and gives zero fuck. Yeah. Is what I wrote. <laughs> so not long after Maria's arrest, um, as we know, Yan and Debbie broke up. Yan um, begins dating someone new. Her name is Beth Ansel. And he believes the nightmare was behind him because she's been arrested now and he felt safe starting a relationship. Yeah. On December 8th of 2003, Maria Marchese was informed by the Crown Prosecution Service that they would not be pursuing the charges the police had brought. And then I wrote, what the actual what? fuck? No explanation has ever been given for this decision, for why they were like, okay, so we've got all this documentation of harassment and threats and, you know, really ruining people's lives, but we're going to go ahead and just not, we're not going to pursue these. Oh, it's just, an, I can only w imagine that maybe it had something to do with like the laws when it comes to stalking and harassment, like right. hadn't fully caught up with the level of what she'd done. So they were like, what's she going to do probation? We'll just drop it. Um, and shortly after their decision, Yan receives a threatening phone call from guess who? Maria. So uh. Yan immediately contacts police and then just um, like two and a half weeks later, at the end of December, um, an unknown person breaks into Debbie's flat. Nothing is taken, but lights are turned on, windows are opened, and all of like various objects are just moved in noticeably different places. Um, police believed that the person who had entered the house actually somehow had gotten there, uh, gotten a hold of keys, and so they're not sure how that all worked out. But they feel pretty certain it's Maria, so they arrest her again mm -hmm. for breaking and entering. And this is January 21st of 2004 when she's arrested again for this B&E. Um, and it is during this police interview that Maria officially blows Dr. Jan Falkowski's <gasps> life the F up, you guys. Blows his life out of the water like she meant to do with his houseboat. <laughs> she, during her police interview about, you know, her behavior towards them, she turns around and she's like, I'd like to file a report. And she files a report that states that Yan, Dr. Yan Falkowski had drugged and raped her at his medical practice. <gasps> um, and the story is that between April and June of 2002, Maria's now ex-boyfriend George had actually been admitted as a voluntary inpatient, so no longer an outpatient that was just coming. He was, he was admitted as an inpatient at St. Clement's Hospital where Yan worked. And Maria claimed the rape occurred one day in June when she was visiting George. She could not provide police with an exact date of the alleged assault, but she also told them that she had evidence that could prove her allegations without a shadow of a doubt. She provided police with a pair of her underwear and said that they would find Dr. Falkowski's semen on them. Police collect the evidence and they have to bring Yan in for questioning. And then when the DNA on Maria's underwear is a match for Dr. Yan Falkowski, they charge him with the drugging and rape of Maria Marchese. Despite him insisting he's innocent, that he never doesn't even remember ever seeing this woman before. So for 18 months, Yan lives under suspicion of committing rape. His reputation is destroyed. His practice basically falls apart. But days before his trial was set to begin, so that's 18 months, guys, of this. But days before um, his trial was set to begin, his defense attorneys come through with evidence that would exonerate him. And ironically, it's the exact same evidence that got him arrested. So his defense lawyers had decided to have the underwear with the DNA tested again, and it was determined that there was a third DNA sample present. The new DNA was that of Yan's current girlfriend, Beth Ansel. So this is what this stalker did. She uh, went through Yan's garbage. She took a used condom. She deposited the contents on her underwear. But what she didn't realize is that when she did that, she unknowingly transferred Beth's DNA as well as Yan's because, you know, takes two to tango. Juicy, juicy. Yeah, juicy jizz. <laughs> um, and it could also be easily established that at the time she said this happened, you know, so like way back when her boyfriend was admitted, that Beth and Yan had never met. So there would be no way that somehow her DNA would have been present when he allegedly assaulted Maria. 
So what a psycho. The crown, I know. The crown, prosecu- uh, the crown prosecutor, Casey Scuttered, obviously drops the case against Yan. Yan is free. His name is finally cleared. And Maria is pissed. <laughs> She's pissed. And she turns her, her anger away from Yan and now on to this prosecutor, um, Case Scuttered, constantly harassing and threatening her, following her to work. Basically, um, Scuttered is forced to like take different routes to and from. She wears like casual clothing so it doesn't look like she's going to work. Um, and it, at some point, the police actually have like they install a reinforced door and a panic button in her bedroom so that if Maria ever does like come to make good on her threats or come into her home that she can barricade herself in there and press a button and police will show up. That's not fair. Yeah. So Kay Scuttered is living in terror until finally, again, Maria Marchese is charged. Um, they, the CPS, so the Crown Prosecution Service, arrests Maria on the charge of perverting the courses of justice and on all of the previous charges brought against her for the stalking and harassing of Yan and Debbie that had been thrown out. So they brought all those back. Um, her trial lasts three weeks, and she is found guilty. On January 19th of 2007, Judge John Price slapped one of the longest sentences for a stalker in the history of the UK. She got a nine-year sentence, wow. um, which the judge said he was doing to send a message to anyone who, th- who might consider engaging in this kind of behavior, like stalking someone, harassing someone, um, false allegations of sexual assault, going after prosecutors that you don't like their decisions when it comes to like the court. Um, and she is also slept with a lifetime restraining order um, for Jan and Debbie. So for the rest of her life, she's got a restraining order against her for those two, plus 40 other people that were connected to the um, case that she harassed and threatened. She also has a lifetime oh my restraining goodness. order against. So here's the most frustrating part. After this trial, it was revealed that this is not the first time Maria Marchese had done something like this. She had a history. In fact, before this, she had stalked another couple. Back in 1990, Marchese became obsessed with a man, and she began stalking him and his wife. In 1992, she was arrested for threatening behavior. In August of 1992, she then turned around and accused the man of attacking her with a knife. That case of was dropped eventually. She couldn't prove it. And then in 1996, Maria is given an official warning by police after she threatens to kidnap the baby that this couple now has. Um, And then in April of 2000, she is served with a 12-month restraining order for the couple so she can't go near them for a year. But by that time, her obsession had already started to turn somewhere else if you look at the timelines. That's 2000. She met Dr. Falkowski in 1997, and she started stalking him in 2001. So Debbie eventually did find true love and get married, but she moved away from the UK, spending time in France and Australia. Yan still races powerboats and is a psychiatrist, and um, currently he's hoping to beat the world record for fastest powerboat team to circle the globe. Um, and okay. apparently to do that, they'll have to do it in 59 days because the world record at the moment is 60 days. Wow. And as for Maria Marchese, um, I listened to like a podcast about this and then I did a Google search. There is no record that you can find online of her release, her current whereabouts. So she was sentenced to nine years in 2007, meaning if she served the whole nine years, she was released in 2016. Um if, if not earlier, you know, because yeah. it's not like technically considered that. And um, I guess the moral of the story is if she is out there, if she didn't do something in prison, then somehow lengthened her sentence, then she's just really good, as we know, of uh, lurking in the shadows and not being found because I couldn't find anything Whoa. about where she is or what she's doing now. So uh, thank God for those lifetime restraining orders. Creepy. And so this is this is the story of the... The houseboat and the woman that stalked. Oh, psychiatrist. There's yes. another tie-in. Like Niles. Yep. And that's my story. Oh, my gosh. That's, uh, I feel like I say the same thing, but I'm just like, that is cuckoo bananas, man. I, I just, I, the, it caught my attention. The headline was like, 
judge hands down like longest sentence ever for a woman who stopped you know and I was like yeah. done yes. and then all, the way that it just magically tied it in other ways I was like well that's just dumb luck but Gorgeous. I couldn't bl- I mean when you just think about like the the way it just alters the course of someone's life yeah. you know like they were happy and in love and they didn't they couldn't even survive the the uh, the abuse that went on for you know yeah. well over a year their entire engagement was ruined by it like that's when it started she found out they were engaged um and so don't stalk people yeah even you may ryan don't do it yeah not a good idea i know it must be yeah. some mental uh i think for sure illness um yeah but, but a history of it and the fact that like the police right. have been involved well before, that's what i was thinking like was that not on the record you know did they not see that well they didn't well they didn't i don't know I, that's why i don't understand um why they dropped the charges for Yan and Debbie, because if, if she had a record or a history, yes. that's a pattern, you know, and you don't just let someone go. Right. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure if it was like maybe a jurisdictional thing or if, or if, I mean, it would have to be, right? If she was arrested. Right. There should be a record of that. My goodness. My Wild. goodness. Well, I hope everyone finds their magic out there. And if your magic is to, with someone else who you want to stalk, don't do it. No stocking. Don't do it. Yeah. Magic means that, you know, it's between two consenting people. Two consenting people and also just stay out of the trash. Stay out of the trash. Stay out of the trash. No no dumpster diving and um, mutual affection. Yeah. Those are the keys to a magical relationship. And on that (laughs) note, thank you everyone for joining us for this week's episode of Rom Crime. We'll see you next Tuesday. That's right. Bye. Bye. Did you notice that some of my the music I play under our TikToks, it's our wrong crime music, but it also goes do 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 I did notice that. Wrong crime. Yeah.